listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm glad you turned it, tuned in. As the majority of Americans have turned their focus on survival amid the coronavirus pandemic, there are some changes happening around environmental regulations that most of us might not be paying attention to. Two people who are following these kinds of issues are joining us now to unpack some of what's happening in the world of environmental policy. Mike Schreiberg is Great Lakes Regional Executive Director for the National Wildlife Federation. Uh, Mike, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks for having me. And Nathan Murphy is Environment Michigan's State Director. Nathan, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks, Stephen. Glad to be here. Yeah, and we should note that Nathan is joining us on today's program by Skype. Uh, let's, Nathan, I'm going to start with you. It's important to point out that there has been a recent international narrative of nature returning to places all over the world. I keep seeing pictures of things like dolphins in Venice canals, coyotes on the Golden Gate Bridge, uh, all kinds of wildlife re-emerging as humans sort of retract. Do you find this to be uh, an informative story to be telling? And is it helpful to get people thinking about climate policy and the way that human presence affects the, the globe? Well, I think, you know, I think it really is a very obvious sign of the resiliency of nature. When we give nature a break, it, it responds, it bounces back. And, you know, the conservation biologists have known about this for a number of years. And we've seen this in places like marine sanctuaries, where they set aside uh, an area of ocean and say, you can't fish here. And the reefs and the fish populations and things like that rebound relatively quickly, and it starts acting as a source to, to support other areas around it with fish and other biota. Hmm. So, you know, when people kind of pull back and give nature a chance, nature can bounce back in a lot of ways. And I think that's really positive when we start talking about things like climate change, and it's easy to sort of get feeling fairly down about just how big the problem can be and how intractable it sometimes seems that if we continue to work on it and make progress, the the earth will respond in a positive way. And, you know, it's not too late. We just need to roll up our sleeves and get to work. Mm. And is there something, though, maybe dangerous about these images and this idea of nature being so resilient and bouncing back so quickly that suggests to us that the effect that we do have on the planet is not as dire as some of us have tried to, to say it is over the last uh, several years, that, that we really do need to pay attention to, to human impact on, on the globe. Well, I, I think that's a really interesting point, Stephen. You know, the, the flip side of the coin, you're right, of what I was talking about is we are having a huge effect on the natural world uh, through habitat destruction, through climate change, through introducing invasive species. You know, when we look at measures like native species going extinct, you know, the downward trend in invertebrate and insect populations, downward trends in bird populations, the number of mammal species that are threatened or endangered, we're absolutely having an effect. And to sort of count on the resiliency of nature 
as some sort of pipe dream that everything will just be fine at some point in the future, it would be really misguided. Because we know from the data that we have, we need to act and we need to get serious about that. Yeah. Uh, Mike Schreiberg, your organization, the National Wildlife Federation, recently co-released a report about the legal pathways to income-based water bills. Uh, Talk about the impetus of creating this report and talk about the ways in which this pandemic has made us think about water accessibility to water, uh, clean water, all of these these issues that we talk about frequently, but I think look a little different uh, in the context of what's going on now. Yeah, the, this put these issues into, uh, I guess I'd say, sharper focus. But, you know, no one should ever be without access to clean drinking water uh, in, in their homes, of course. But the sad reality is, as you well know, Stephen, and, and I'm sure the listeners know, is that in Detroit in particular, uh, water shutoffs are a problem. Uh, they're occurring across the city and across the region, across the state. Um, you know, the report that we released yesterday, uh, what it, it had a very specific purpose, which was knocking down the argument that there are legal barriers to charging those folks with lower incomes lower rates for water. Because uh, that's an excuse that some water utilities had, had hid behind. Um, and, you know, this was more of a technical report that basically said, not true. Uh, in fact, it's better for utilities to charge rates that are tied, at least at the lower ends of the scale, to income, because then the utilities actually have a chance of collecting um, some of the dollars if it's kept at a reasonable level for those who are at the lower ends of the income scale. Mm. Um, but the pandemic has put this all in, in sharp focus. Uh, there shouldn't be water shutoffs, um, period. And, you know, the key recommendation to keep people safe right now, of course, is washing your hands and washing them regularly and thoroughly. And that, of course, isn't possible if you don't have clean water access in your home. So we've been taking this moment both to advocate for the end to water shutoffs overall and to show the legal and policy mechanisms that that, um, can lead us there. You know, one of the things that I've been thinking about since this started, and actually i was something that I was thinking about even before this started, but but again, this brings it into tighter focus, is this idea of water, the way we treat water as a fee-for-service kind of utility, and, and whether that makes a lot of sense. I mean, if you think of uh, the things that we define as public goods, for instance, in, in our culture, we don't deal with those things in the context of fee-for-service. And here I'm thinking of things like public schools, right? If I don't pay my property taxes, uh, I still get to send my kids to the public school in the neighborhood where I live. No one, no one checks the tax rolls to be sure that I'm paying for those schools. And the reason that's true is because we believe public education is, is a public good. We find other ways to make sure that there's enough money to provide schooling for everybody. And, and I wonder if something like the coronavirus pandemic makes us think differently, or is it, it, it's certainly an opportunity to, but I, but I do wonder whether this crisis and the impact it's had on people in places like Detroit, poor people in particular, really pushes us to, to, to go that far with the discussion and to really say, is there a better way to think of these things, to, 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 to set these systems up so that they serve people whether or not they have the ability to pay? Uh, Mike, I wonder if, if that kind of 
change is possible now or more possible because of what we're experiencing. Yeah, I, I think it certainly opened our eyes to that. I mean, you know, when you think about it, I think you make a good point, Stephen, because what is a more basic human right than access to water? I mean, it, we, it's, we literally can't live without it for more than a very short period of time. Um, yet people are edged out of access to water based on their financial situation. And that's pretty unique to the U.S., at least among, um, develop, among the developed world. And, you know, so we're starting to see reactions to this, including from our uh, hometown congresspeople, uh, Congresswoman Tlaib and, and Congresswoman Dingle just uh, recently introduced a bill that we just endorsed, which actually is water as a human right uh, bill. And it would, it would end water shutoffs, establish water affordability um, and in water bill assistance payments and kind of move us in that direction. Mm-hmm. So there's a moment here to think about that and to, to you know, this, this whole crisis, there's no silver lining to it, but it's a step back moment in all kinds of ways. And I think when you think about it for access to water, that's one of the core, core ways. And, and we're working hard to make sure that we get some permanent changes out of this to who has access to water, how that's accessed, and what happens at the lower ends of the income scales and to the most vulnerable populations, the very people that are hardest hit by the pandemic right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, we should also note that uh, Congresswoman Tlaib will be one of our guests on the show tomorrow, Thursday, here on Detroit Today, and we are going to talk with her about this issue in particular. Uh, one of the things that uh, she has been, as you point out, really working on. Uh, also, give, let's get the phones going here. Uh, give us a call and get, let us know what you're thinking about things like air quality during the coronavirus or water and access to water, water shutoffs. Are you concerned about the ways your community could be at higher risk because of these kinds of policies. Uh, also, just give us a call and tell us what you, how you are managing things right now during the pandemic, all of these changes that we are enduring uh, because of the coronavirus pandemic. What's changed in your life? How are you managing it? And again, how are you looking toward the future in terms of opportunities to make things work a little better for all of us, but especially for people who are in the most vulnerable categories. Uh, as always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today and we will work you into the conversation. Uh, I want to go to uh, a particular caller here first. Uh, Miko Williams is the founder of Hydrate Detroit, which is uh, one of the water rights organizations in the city that's working real hard to push back against water shutoffs. Miko, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you. Thank you, Stephen, for having me. Yeah. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Absolutely. Uh, so, uh, as I said, you work on this issue all the time here in the city, but I wonder if you could give us uh, a snapshot of what the last five to seven weeks have been like as this pandemic has added to the urgency of water and water rights and water shutoffs here in the yes, city. Absolutely. What's it been like? Absolutely. And first of all, it shouldn't have taken a pandemic uh, for this situation uh, to have happened. Uh, but I do applaud the leadership of city and state officials, as, as well as Gretchen Whitmer, uh, for issuing executive order mm-hmm. to stop water shutoffs and to restore uh, all water to Michiganders. 
Uh, now what we're doing here at Hydrate Detroit is we're working on um, outreach, and we are trying to uh, reach out to those with their water shut off. Uh, what we have served as um, uh, phone calls that are coming in of people reporting that um, they don't have water, and we connect them with the water and sewage department, and they will turn the water on. However, uh, there's mis-messaging, and this could happen, you know, while we're in a pandemic, is that you have two different um, options. You can go on a payment plan for which 23,000 uh, residents are currently on um, payment plans, mm-hmm. but they were one step away from being shut off. Before the pandemic, uh, there was no um, plan to turn on water in the city of Detroit. And there was no effort. So what we've done is that uh, Hydrate Detroit has went to the Board of Water Commissioners. We've had conversations with the city council. Uh, I have sent communications over to the mayor's office to um, implement water amnesty debt relief. In this pandemic, people have went through a financial downturn. There has been an economic uh, impact to where people are not going to be able to pay their bills. And so I'm glad that Mayor Mike Duggan said as of yesterday that uh, he is looking into efforts of helping people with debt consolidations and also adding more money from the CARES Act into the um, uh, water affordability. The problem is, is that people, water is on. But how are they going to get out of debt? They're still chained to old pastor rearages. They're still chained to the um, taxes, surcharges, and fees. And the city council has passed a resolution that's sent to the Board of Water Commissioners, um, Detroit Board of Water Commissioners, to relieve all debts, surcharges, and fees. So what we're doing right now is we're trying to be proactive into um, making the water amnesty debt proposal something that could that could benefit all Michiganders, mm-hmm. um, but starting in the city of Detroit and going out towards the region for anybody. Listen, water shutoffs do not discriminate, black, white, sure. and that's why we have more of a disproportionate death, uh, meaning that we have more um, deaths in the city of Detroit because people may have not had access to water, they may have not had access to resources, and we don't even know how to um, bring them to the forefront. So we have to take these preventative steps now and we have to go more harder than we ever have before. Yeah, that, that, that's a really uh, progressive idea, the idea of just getting rid of these debts so that after this is all over, the people who now have water back on are not facing the potential for uh, you know, a new shutoff, um, which, which absolutely, because of the economic impact of this, is something that, uh, that a lot of people would be facing. Um, Miko Williams, I'm really glad you called in. Thanks for, uh, for sharing all that information with us. Uh, let's go to another uh, caller, a particular caller here. Uh, Regina Strong is environmental justice public advocate for the Michigan Department of Environmental Great Lakes Environment at Great Lakes and Energy at the state level. Regina, welcome to the program. Good morning. Yeah. So, uh, give us an idea from your perspective of some of the environmental impacts of. Uh, this pandemic, some of the things that are changing, some of the things that maybe people are trying to sneak in that uh, that are uh, harmful to to the climate policies that we were trying to put into place before this. Uh, what's that look like from your chair? So one of the one of the things I wanted to touch on is just the fact that environmental justice communities um, in Detroit and across the state 
have been among the hardest hit um, during this time period. And as I just heard the, the previous caller talk about, there are many ways that, you know, I think state and local folks are really working to ensure people have access to water. Um, because, you, again, you can't protect yourself if you can't wash your hands and you can't do some of the hygiene that is required um, to keep your water on So um, and to protect yourself from COVID-19. And so absolutely, um, the governor's executive order, uh, which required all water systems across the state um, to restore service, is still in process and is a really important piece of it. Um, and I know the, the, the previous conversation focused on, you know, what happens next. And that's a really important um, part of the equation, looking at affordability moving forward, looking at what are the ways to ensure that um, people have access to water is a critical piece of looking at um, the justice and, and addressing some of the systemic issues that previously have made it very difficult for people in the Great Lakes state to access water. So absolutely, um, those are priorities for uh, my office, as well as, I think, uh, in conjunction with frontline communities and folks all around and protecting Michigan's environment as we protect our public health is also really important. And I know you talked a little bit earlier about um, some of the rollbacks on the federal level yeah. as it relates to um you know, regulations. And and one of the unique things about Michigan is we regulate our water resources on a state level. And so um, we are not subject to those rollbacks. So we have the opportunity to continue to protect Michigan's water. The concern comes in um, because all water is connected, right? And so if neighboring states um, who will share the Great Lakes with us and share our waterways, um, weaken rules that could potentially impact us, but it, it does not change how we regulate in the state of Michigan, which I think is an important piece of that connectivity of, you know, how that could potentially impact us, but it won't um, impact how we regulate from the, from EGLE, the Department of Environment, Great Lakes and Energy, because that's state-driven. Right. I mean, I think that's a really important point, this idea of holding in place uh, other kinds of uh, barriers to abuse and and kind of slipping back toward uh, sloppy environmental enforcement at the federal level by by making sure that we can do it uh, at the state level. Um, and and uh, before I let you go, Regina, I, I want to ask you to just quickly address um, how bad you think uh, things will be for people who want to push forward on environmental regulations after this is over. It's always, I think, a little difficult to pick up where you were before once somebody kind of blows through uh, things that were already accomplished or, or slides back. Is Are we going to face uh, a more uphill battle with some of these things? You know, it, it's interesting. I mean, from the regulatory standpoint and from the folks who are now maybe controlling how that process will move forward, there may be some difficulty, but I also think it has awakened a lot of folks who weren't paying attention to pay attention to things in our current environment that they weren't paying attention to before. Um, and so although there may be some level of an uphill battle in trying to maintain where we are as we push forward on protecting the environment, 
there's also the opportunity to engage new voices, new folks, new allies in, in the push to just protect our environment, improve how we treat our people as it relates to environment. I mean, I think the connectivity between um, public health and our environmental regulations has never been in, in more stark relief, right? So our policies, the things that we've done previously, and the things that we could do in the future can have a direct impact on us and our public health. And a lot of people, unless you're really into, you know, you're, you're an environmentalist or you've worked in an environmental organization or you've been connected to it, you may not see that as an obvious connection, right? So I think in our current, you know, you have to be able to wash your hands and, oh, by the way, to protect yourself, you know, you need water and, oh, by the way, how is water regulated? And it starts people thinking about it differently. So I think the, 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 if we can take a positive spin out of a very dire situation, it is that more people are making connections that they've never made before and the importance of protecting our environment, what the regulations um, that are in place do and how we need to strengthen those, not roll them back, as well as the impact on people, right? Mm-hmm. And, and some of the systemic inequities that have put people at risk are in stark relief right now. You really, really see how that is impacting people as it relates to the COVID-19 crisis. So, I mean, that would be my perspective on that. Okay. Regina Strong with the Michigan Department of Environmental Great Lakes and Energy. Thanks very much for calling in. All right. Thank you. Yeah. We're going to take a quick break and we come back. We're going to continue our conversation with Mike Schreiberg, Regional Executive Director of Great Lakes National Wildlife Federation, and with Nathan Murphy, Environment Michigan State Director. And we want to continue to hear from you about the environmental effects of the coronavirus pandemic. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Today on 101.9 WDET, I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. My guests are Mike Schreiberg, Regional Executive Director for the Great Lakes National Wildlife Federation. Also with us is Nathan Murphy, who's Environment Michigan State Director. We're talking about environmental policy during the coronavirus pandemic. And uh, both of you guys, I'd love for you to talk about this slipping back that we've seen, this environmental loosening of regulations because of the coronavirus pandemic. Of course, industry says it's hurting right now and needs freedom from some of these strictures. But of course, there are are consequences for that kind of decision making. Uh, Nathan Murphy, I'll, I'll start with you. Sure. So part of what a lot of people are talking about when they talk about environmental regulations and environmental protections decreasing in response to the COVID-19 pandemic is some guidance that the Federal Environmental Protection Agency put out uh, about a month ago saying that they're not going to enforce monitoring, reporting, or even training requirements or several other um, things related to controlling pollution mm-hmm. if if a company can demonstrate that they couldn't do it because of COVID-19. 
And, you know, it sounds like a very reasonable sort of thing, except really what we're doing is opening a huge loophole for companies to exceed their permits as long as they can blame it on the pandemic. And mm -hmm. I think that's, you know, it's it's like putting the fox in charge of the hen house. And we know from experience that that just doesn't work when it comes to environmental regulations. A lot of times when we're talking about monitoring and reporting, it's an electric sensor someplace that sends data to a computer that then sends the data to the regulatory agency, whether it's our own Eagle uh, Environment Great Lakes and Energy Department here in Michigan or the federal EPA. So it's, you know, a lot of times it's hard to see how they could legitimately blame stuff on COVID-19. Mm -hmm. We just have some real concerns about what that's going to look like when the rubber meets the road, yeah. given the opportunity for abuse. Yeah. Uh, Mike Schreiberg, uh, what's your what's your sense of this? Yeah, well, in... I completely agree. And, and the thing to look at is that I appreciate what Regina was saying in, in Governor Whitmer's stance, which is we will continue to implement the laws. But remember, some things fall under federal responsibility. For example, pipeline safety. So think line five. Um, as far as we can tell, the enforcement and monitoring isn't happening of that. That was not a state responsibility. That's a federal piece. And then couple that with this this rollback of enforcement, but the Trump administration also used the attention that's focused on the pandemic to actually permanently roll back uh, any number of environmental rules, the fuel efficiency standards, the scope of the Clean Water Act, actually even uh, just the use of science in decision-making within the agency. So these are, this is the coal industry's wish list. You have the coal industry lobbyist who's in charge of the EPA. And essentially, while the public's been rightfully looking the other way, we've seen very significant uh, rollbacks. And, you know, this is just a, at a time when we've seen those that are most vulnerable getting hit by the pandemic the hardest. And one of the biggest factors in vulnerability is pollution, yeah. air pollution specifically. So, you know, at a time when we need to rely on science, when we need to protect those that are most vulnerable, the Trump administration has used this as an opportunity to give the special interest wish list um, uh, carte blanche. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I wonder if you think that that's part of what's going on here. We were talking about immigration before environment, and I think there's a concern there, too, that this is an administration that has an agenda in that arena, and maybe this is an opportunity to, to move further in that agenda under the guise of making it about public health. Uh, is that what we're seeing here with environment, Mike Schreiberg? I, I think that is part of what we're seeing, and I think you know, there's this narrative that there's a false trade-off between environmental protection and economic development. Um, that's demonstrably false. If you look even at the states that have the strongest environmental protection laws, they tend to have the strongest economies, and you can do that at the national level, too. And you've got people in place in the Trump administration who have a anti-regulatory, anti-environment stance and are using this as an opportunity to advance that. Some of these things have been in the works for a while. Some of them haven't. But there's no question that um, they're using the attention elsewhere focused to undermine the, our very environment and public health protections. They're also doing this while doling out a few favors in the Great Lakes region, right? So some funding for restoration projects, which are great projects. Think Belle Isle, think the Detroit River area of concern, which is the toxic hotspot there. Mm -hmm. um, so they're trying to do some very publicly visible pieces, knowing that the election uh, matters in, in Michigan, but while undermining the fundamental environment and public health protections and trying to do that in a more quiet way. It's pretty insidious. Yeah. 
Okay, Mike Schreiberg, Regional Executive Director of the Great Lakes National Wildlife Federation. Thanks very much for being here with us on Detroit Today. Thank you for having me. And also Nathan Murphy, Environment Michigan State Director. It was great to have you here as well. Thank you, Stephen. All right, that's going to do it for us today. Come back tomorrow when we are going to have conversations with two members of Michigan's Washington delegation, Congresswoman Haley Stevens and Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib will join us to talk about their efforts to help us all get through the coronavirus pandemic. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk more tomorrow.